Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Donald Trump heaps praise on Kim Jong-un, and now the date is set for their big face-to-face. Plus... Was it pay to play? New questions over Michael Cohn cashing in on access to Donald Trump. And the Maverick makes a plea. Will his fellow senators listen? This is the State of America Tonight. It was a very important thing to all of us to be able to get these three great people out. Kim Jong-un is a dictator. He capriciously detained American citizens. I really think he wants to do something and bring that country into the real world. The bad news is that this is the fifth time we've been here. The president and Michael Cohen better hope that none of that money gets traced back to the president or the Trump organization. It's called pay for play. Senator John McCain is urging his colleagues to reject President Trump's pick for CIA Director Gina Haspel. He's been preeminent voice, uh, you know, speaking out against torture. His voice matters. Hello, everyone. I'm John Avalon, live in New York. And to our viewers watching around the world, this is the State of America Tonight. Now, Mahatma Gandhi once said, whenever you are confronted with an opponent, conquer him with love. Well, that surprisingly appears to be U.S. President Donald Trump's new strategy when it comes to dealing with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. In anticipation of their summit, which has just been announced for June 12th in Singapore, President Trump offered words of praise for the North Korean dictator, thanking Mr. Kim for releasing three American citizens who'd been detained in North Korea for years. It was a great moment, and as you know, Trump isn't one to shy away from putting on a show. Amid the justified sense of celebration, he seemed quite pleased at the attention given the arrival of the detainees back home in America. It's very early in the morning. Uh, I think you probably broke the all-time in history television rating for 3 o'clock in the morning, that I would say. Ah, yes, it's all about the ratings. And if you find it surprising that the U.S. would thank a dictator for his hospitality and releasing American citizens he'd been illegally holding prisoner, well, you are not alone. The top Democrat in the Senate was shocked at President Trump's words. Kim Jong-un is a dictator. He capriciously detained American citizens, robbed them of their freedom, didn't let them go home to their families, Their release should not be exalted, it should be expected. It is no great accomplishment of Kim Jong-un to do this. But Trump's number two was quick to point out that there was no deal made here. He says North Korea got nothing but goodwill for releasing the detainees. What's different today is that the United States has offered no concessions. 
nothing in exchange, and yet we do see like this remarkable moment of three Americans coming home and the commitments being made by Kim Jong-un. We see signs that this may be different, and it's all a result of President Trump's leadership. And so all eyes now turn to that June summit in Singapore. Now, the American people certainly seem to like that it's happening. A brand new CNN poll finds that support for the meeting has risen sharply in recent months. And as for the question of whether a deal can be reached to end North Korea's nuclear program, well, everyone is both hopeful and cautious. We've had four previous uh, negotiations on this issue. Every time the North Koreans make agreements, uh, they get sanctions relief and then they break the agreement. So uh, it's not time yet to pop the cork on this. On the other hand, I'm uh, delighted that we're going to be entering into these negotiations and maybe this time it'll work. No champagne just yet. Now, we mentioned Gandhi at the top and he was famous for talking about the concept of karma. You know, what goes around comes around. So keep that in mind as we remind you of candidate Trump's major arguments against Hillary Clinton. She engaged in corrupt pay-for-play at the State Department. They found a lot of bad stuff. Pay-for-play. Pay-for-play. It's illegal. This was big stuff. Pay-for-play. It's illegal. I mean, it's illegal. Access and favors were sold for cash. It's called... Pay for play. Well, after railing against pay for play by his opponent, some folks are saying there's now evidence of a pay for play scheme inside Trump's inner circle. Now, it involves Trump's personal attorney, Michael Cohen, and CNN has now learned that in the weeks and months after the election, Cohen was paid millions of dollars by corporations eager for his help in getting the ear of the president. Cohen pitched himself as the person closest to Trump and called himself a, quote, fixer. Well, the payments were revealed by Cohen's rival, Michael Avenetti, who is suing Trump and Cohen on behalf of porn star Stormy Daniels. I think that ultimately what's going to be disclosed is that Michael Cohen was selling access to the highest office in the land, that Donald Trump knew about it. He knew Michael Cohen was not a registered lobbyist. The president and Michael Cohen better hope that none of that money gets traced back to the president or the Trump organization or another entity that that the president controlled at the time, because if so, I think that could have serious, serious consequences. Among the companies paying Cohen for access to the president was an investment firm called Columbus Nova. Why does that matter? Well, the founder of Columbus Nova is the cousin of a Russian oligarch, and that oligarch is also Columbus Nova's singest larger investor. So could all this be a sign of Russian money being funneled to the people close to the president? Every tree in the Trump forest, when shaken, has a Russian fallen out of it. So for most Americans, they're probably not surprised that this deal uh, with Michael Cohen involves a Russian oligarch, somebody who has close ties to Vladimir Putin. Meanwhile, back at Team Trump, they continue to say that none of this proves anything about a connection between the president's campaign and Russia. And they are frankly getting sick of the whole thing dragging on for so long. In the interest of the country, I think it's time to wrap it up. And I would very respectfully encourage the special counsel and his team to, to, to bring their work to completion. Today, we are learning more about exactly what those Russian trolls were up to when they tried to disrupt the U.S. presidential election. Congressional Democrats today released more than 3,000 Facebook and Instagram ads the Russian Internet Research Agency bought in an effort to sow discontent. Here are just a few. 
Now, most of them looked like they were posted by regular Americans with strong opinions. And those opinions covered about just all of polarized political viewpoints in our country around the election. Now, Facebook calls them ads because Russians paid thousands to boost the posts, which appear to the top of people's Facebook feeds. Now, they didn't simply support one candidate over another, but as the leading Democrat on this committee said, quote, the Russians' aim was to divide us any way they could, by race, religion, or political party, close quote. And speaking of Russian attempts to interfere with American elections, earlier this week, the Senate Intelligence Committee released its initial findings on the Russian targeting of election infrastructure during the 16 election. Now, the bipartisan committee found that Kremlin-affiliated hackers targeted election systems in as many as 21 states. The committee was unaccountably silent on which states were targeted, but they determined that the hackers were in a position to alter or delete registration data, though they did not apparently manipulate individual votes or totals in this election. The Department of Homeland Security's efforts to counter the threats was deemed inadequate. That would be an understatement. Amazingly, the committee found the DHS waited until September of 2017, nearly a year later, to reach out to chief election officials in the targeted states to tell them about the hacking. It's a reminder that there is no substitute for we the people in a democracy. And one last thought from a senator whose conscience looms large over the Senate. An American hero who suffered the hands, suffered in the hands of torture as a prisoner of war for five years, now rejecting a presidential nominee because of that very issue. John McCain is speaking out against Trump's CIA nominee, Gina Haspel, saying this. Ms. Haspel's role in overseeing the use of torture by Americans is disturbing. Her refusal to acknowledge torture's immorality is disqualifying. I believe the Senate should exercise its duty of advice and consent and reject this nomination. Now, Haspel is eminently experienced, but she also oversaw a CIA black site prison in Thailand after 9-11, where enhanced interrogation tactics were used, tactics that have since been deemed illegal. Now, her boss had this to say about waterboarding during the election. I would bring back waterboarding, and I'd bring back a hell of a lot worse than waterboarding. And don't tell me it doesn't work. Torture works, okay, folks? Torture, you know, I have these guys. Torture doesn't work. Believe me, it works, okay? Now, as of this hour, Arizona's junior senator, Jeff Flake, is undecided on Haspel. But he's also grateful to his mentor, John McCain, for sharing his gut feelings. I think it will affect everyone. Uh, he's been preeminent voice, uh, you know, speaking out against torture. Um, the, the laws that we now have, that we use the Army Field Manual uh, as a guide, uh, that was his bill. Um, he was the the main motivation behind that. So his voice matters here. Uh, I'm glad that he's spoken up. Now, during her confirmation hearings yesterday, Haspel said she had a strong moral compass and said she would not carry out an order from the president if she found it to be morally objectionable. It remains unclear whether Haspel will have enough Senate votes to become the first female CIA chief. As Kate likes to say, stand by to stand by on that one. Coming up, access and favors sold for cash. Candidate Donald Trump once condemned pay-to-play politics. But how does he feel now that he's in the Oval Office? The panel is next. Now, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines kleptocracy as, quote, Government by those who seek chiefly status and personal gain at the expense of the governed. Now, it's a trait that seems to be emerging in the controversy over the president's personal lawyer, Michael Cohen. 
But it also raises the question, is Donald Trump's business empire making money off his presidency? The panel tonight, and a great one it is. Reed Wilson, national correspondent at The Hill. Sally Cohn, CNN political commentator and author of the new book, The Opposite of Hate, a field guide to repairing our humanity. We could use that. Rick Wilson, Republican strategist and former strategist for Rudy Giuliani's 2000 Senate campaign. And Selena Zito, CNN contributor and co-author of the new book, The Great Revolt, Inside the Populist Coalition, Reshaping American Politics. Welcome, everybody. We've got a lot to get to, but this is a great crew. Selena, I want to start with you because you've done a great job channeling the voices of Trump supporters in swing states and deep red states as well. But I want to confront you with one statistic about Trump's money making or his organization's money making off the presidency. Just this year, it appears that Trump properties have made over $2 million from Trump related committees, Republican parties, etc. Does that bother you? And more importantly, does that bother his base or don't they care about enrichment off the presidency? Well, it, it, you know, I don't have a stake in this. I just am a reporter. So I will talk about how when I talk to his voters, how they feel about those kinds of things. I think that they understood that they were voting for a businessman. And I think that they understood that he would continue in some way or his properties would continue in some way to continue to make money. Uh, the, voters are very pragmatic and put a lot of their ideologies and uh, aside when they made the decision to vote for him. Um, and, and so this was so part of the of the things that they put aside because they felt that they were electing someone who was a little bit different. And and so they're OK with that kind of thing. I, okay I have argued there. Okay. I have argued right. his problem's going to be as if he becomes part of the swamp. Ah, well, the swamp seems to be encroaching. Rick Wilson, uh, certainly candidates have been appealed to that businessman profile before Michael Bloomberg, the independent candidacy of Ross Perot. How is this any different? Is this baked in the cake, as Selena suggests? Well, I think that the question here um, with a guy like a Mike Bloomberg or or Ross Perot, there was a, a, a sense that those guys had basically made their money. And, you know, Donald Trump, for all of his supposed wealth, always seems to be in this kind of like nickel and dime, hey, use my golf course, come to Mar-a-Lago for your event, sort of pitchmanship as president. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't think he can resist it because he's a, he's a natural marketer and salesman for his own, for his own uh, properties and his own, his own wealth. But I, I do think there's a certain degree to which it, it, it's, it's sort of a, a petty, nitpicky, nitpicky kind of corruption that, you know, I don't think it's going to hurt him with his base. They don't really care. I mean, I honestly think they could, Vladimir Putin could hand him a sack of cash and they probably wouldn't care. But, you know, it does, it's not a good look, in my view, for a president to, to look like he can be easily bought by somebody, you know, scheduling their conferences at yeah. his hotel or, or booking rooms in, his, in the Trump Plaza near Washington, uh, near the White House. Sally Cohn, I see you want to jump in here. You know, help us bridge this divide. Well, well, you know, look, uh, Washington in general has always had trouble grasping the concept of hypocrisy. We all tend to have blinders uh, that when our quote unquote side does something, we defend it. And when the other side does it, we're outraged. But, you know, nonetheless, as he has in a lot of other arenas, Trump has taken this to a new level. It's as though he doesn't even know the word 
hypocrisy. And look, I mean, even if we put aside the issue of emoluments and, and, and his uh, businesses doing well because of his presidency and the fact that he has not disentangled to the extent he has, now we have the Cohen situation. And as you said, Donald Trump ran on attacking Hillary Clinton because of the charitable donations that entities made to her charitable foundation that did good work trying to fight HIV AIDS and mm. in Africa, trying to end poverty, charitable donations that he made hay about. This is money to curry influence with right. Trump directly. This is for profit. If he's not outraged by this and if his if his fan, if his base isn't outraged by this, we, we, people aren't paying but, attention. Well, Reid, you know, some might say charity begins at home, but also polls are showing that Trump's approval ratings are rising. The economy is doing well. Uh, you know, so is this just a sense that as long as the economy does well, people aren't going to turn the blind eye? No, I don't think so. President Trump's approval rating is still down in the, the mid-40s. If any other president in, uh, not even the mid-40s, the low-40s, uh, if any other president had an economy that was doing as well as this one is, uh, I, the, the approval rating would be easily north of 50%. Uh, right. Throw in things like North Korea, throw in things like that are actually going well for this administration. Uh, the, the, a, an average president uh, with these circumstances should have an approval rating that's well north of where Trump is. So I... I there are a lot of people who are, in fact, paying attention to this uh, and, uh, and who do not like the president uh, no matter what. We talk yeah. about his base, which is this sort of solid core that doesn't seem to be uh, expanding or contracting. But, you know, there's a lot of other people who are not a part of that base. And I think the polls reflect that. All right. Stay right there. Coming up, we're going to come back with this panel to reflect on this. Once upon a time in America, voters used to be able to pick a side and then be more or less civil about the income. But these days, our divisions have become downright dangerous. The Killer Panel weighs in next. Call it tribal politics, identity politics, or just a deep distrust in America. Is there a way to heal the U.S. political divide and actually get something done on topics that turn rival viewpoints into screaming matches? Our panel is perfect for this very touchy subject. Selena, your great new book digs into stories of swing state Trump supporters, some of whom voted for Barack Obama before. So as we look to the midterms, what do Democrats need to do to reconnect with these voters they've apparently alienated? Well, I think they need to be more open to allowing uh, voters that religiosity is very important, that the Second Amendment is very important. Take a look at the uh, the coalition that they built, built in 2006 under Howard Dean, where they did the 50-state program, and they put moderate Democrats who, who reflected their district in swing districts, like in western Pennsylvania and in eastern Ohio and, you know, below the Mason-Dixon line, and they were incredibly successful. That I mean, they had these great ads in, in rural ads in, in uh, on farm radio that just talked about shared values and economic uh, c coming together. And I think that kind of running on that sort of that kind of vein will help them expand their universe as opposed to turn people off. So unite or not divider, Sally Cohn, that's the essence of your great new book. But new CNN polls showing that the Democratic lead in the midterm generic ballot is down to 3 percent. 
Now, that is not exactly a blue wave. And do you take this as a sign that Democrats need to fire up their base or, as as Selena suggests, reach out beyond it to swing voters? Well, you know, I actually don't think it's an either or choice. Uh, And and honestly, one of the examples I look to in that is Donald Trump. I mean, he ran on a version of populism that I happen to think is dangerous, a very exclusionary uh, and hate-based and ugly kind of populism. But there was also a strain of a very progressive economic populism in that, a concern for, again, whether he's the right avatar for it or not, uh, a concern for working people, a concern for, uh, you know, how folks were faring in the face of globalization. There were pieces of that. And the danger here is that the Democrats think that the only way to win is to huddle toward the center and to lose out and abandon deeply held values and beliefs. That's not where the American people are. Right. The American people have moved to become more populist and anti-elite and want to see a Democratic Party that fights for everyone. And we can turn out our base and excite working folks, working class, white folks, especially uh, who voted for Donald Trump. That's possible, but not if we stop being a party that actually stands for something and stands for people. Well, I'd I'd question whether that includes sort of the the cultural issues or whether it's an economic message. Um, But let me get to Rick Wilson because I want to get everybody in here. Look, you have written some fiery columns. You are a libertarian Reagan Republican, a P.J. O'Rourke Republican, perhaps. But you got to admit, Trump remains popular with the conservative base. Here's the thing. People reality check, need to reality check this. His GOP approval numbers are below where W was for most of his second term. So you've done a lot of congressional advice. Would you advise congressional Republicans to distance themselves from the Donald, particularly in swing districts, or hug him closer? And what, my friend, is the subject of the the future of the center right in the party of Trump? Wow, there's a couple questions embedded in that one. On the short term... Yeah, I know. On the short term, I think Republicans are running this year. They need to get back to the fact that they're still running in a district in a state that has individual character of its own. I think political mono, political monocultures are dangerous for either party. I think Selena was right on target on that. You know, when when Democrats demand that every single Democrat could run in Berkeley, who would run in Berkeley, uh, you know, would run in Birmingham, they're not going to win things. And Republicans have the same basic problem, where if you demand somebody in suburban northern Virginia behave just like someone in in, in, in South Carolina, you're not going to win those seats. You're not going to hold those seats. So Republicans need to get back to talking about uh, and walking the walk, frankly, on some of the things that have always made them an appealing uh, party in a lot of the country. Fiscal discipline, personal liberty, adhere to the Constitution. And those things ne- are not necessarily Trumpism. And so there will be some inevitable daylight if they do that. Mm-hmm. However, in these swing districts particularly, that's an essential, an essential moment for them, I think. Um, And a lot of these Republicans who are running do understand that although the numbers right now in the generic ballot are a little better, they recognize that in all the specials and off years we've had so far since Trump was elected, Democratic turnout is somewhere between 13 and 18 percent higher than it should be on paper. And they're very concerned about that. And that has not changed at all in terms of of their the the sources of their worry and their concern. Future of the center right. That's a much bigger question. It's going to have to probably come in the in the aftermath of the of the 2018 elections. All right. Well, that'll be interesting. Reed Wilson, you report at The Hill. Now, one of the fascinating things about members of Congress, particularly Republicans, is in public, they stick to the script on Donald Trump. But in private, there's not a lot of love there. Is that a lack of courage on Republicans' parts to speak out and vote their conscience? Or is that just the fact of the party? 
I think it's a reflective of the changing nature of the Republican Party. Uh, Congressman Tom Cole from Oklahoma uh, said something the other day that was fascinating to me. He said he outran President Trump in his own district by about four points. I think he got 71 percent and Trump got 67. Cole said that if he broke with Trump, he would keep those four percent and Donald Trump would take the other 67 percent. This is a party that is wedded to this president in a way that I've never seen any party wedded to any president. Certainly Democrats weren't this uh, solidly behind Barack Obama. Obama. Republicans weren't this solidly behind George W. Bush. You know, there were disagreements within those two party coalitions. This is a party coalition that has coalesced entirely behind one person. And uh, I think the, the Republicans on Capitol Hill show that, uh, especially as they're running in some of these primary elections. The elections on Tuesday in Indiana, you had one candidate, a Republican member of Congress, mm-hmm. who literally nominated Donald Trump for the Nobel Peace Prize. That should tell you something uh, about well, uh, just how much this party's on his side. Yeah, that is a surreal sign of the times. Thank you, everyone, panel. I appreciate it. Um, And I want to leave you with a quote from John McCain's book that's relevant to that last conversation. In it, he writes, you're damn right I'm a champion of compromise in the governance of a country of 325 million opinionated, quarrelsome, vociferous souls. There is no other way to govern an open society, or more precisely, to govern it effectively. Wise words from Senator McCain. This is day 476 of President Trump's administration, and that means it is day 180 until the midterm elections. And that, my friends, is State of America Tonight. Listen to our podcast, subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your favorite app. And that's it for me. The great Kate Baldwin returns tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii.